0: Gonna do it like me. Cause there ain't nobody like me. Can't nobody do it like me. You ain't seen nothing like me. Like me. Oh, like me. Cause there ain't nobody like me.
1: What is up, Like City? And welcome back <laughs> to cast I have a very special episode with you today. I have Justin Owens of. Owens Farms Piedmontese on the podcast. He's a good friend. He's uh he's been supporting Spocast um through doing his own podcast here. He was one of the the first clients of the of Spocast when I opened back in 2021 and he's just been he, he's just been an enormous support of what I've been doing here and we get into all of that in the conversation plus his amazing farm Owen's Farms where he breeds some of the most spectacular cows in the world like the cows that he breeds are they're specimens they're they are the most unique cows you'll ever see and um, and they're delicious sorry if you if you don't like eating cows but he has he makes some uh, tasty beef so we're going to talk all about that in the podcast coming up but um and uh I might be sounding like I'm a little winded or uh, that I'm trying to get through this kind of quick, that's because you're about to listen to about a two-hour podcast with with him, and I don't want to take up too much of your time. So, as always, thank you so much for listening, and before we start the conversation with Justin, I have to thank all of my amazing Patreon supporters, the Spokastonites. Uh, Again, thank you all so much for your continued support, and uh, I, I really, really appreciate it. And if I haven't got you your swag yet, I'm very sorry. I will get it to you soon. Reach out to me, please, if you haven't got it yet. I, will, I need to just know who hasn't got it. I know a couple of people I know who haven't gotten it yet that I have to mail. But um, it's more of a, a question of forgetfulness and time. I, I just need to make time to do that. Uh, but I will make sure everyone gets their stuff within the next month Um, I I appreciate your patience on that, and I appreciate your support. And here are my Patreon supporters. It is Joe Van Voorhees, Elizabeth Geyer, Amanda Kerr, Abby Pointer, Lee Wick, Gina Campbell, Tyler Poole, Pamela Smith, Briscoe, Sarah Thorpe, Judy Pointer, Zach Hawkins, Amber Sparks, Luke Baumgarten, Pia Hollenberg, Valerie Ossier, Alex, Leia, Nick Spanger, and Elizabeth and Bill Pointer. Thank you all so much for for the support. Uh, and if you are listening to this and you want to support Spocast, please go to patreoncom backslash Spocast and become a, a tonight. I will get you your swag eventually. I'm not hiding from anyone. If you, I would love anyone who reaches out to me. If you want to come check out the studio. Please reach out. I will show you show you around. I'll get you some stickers and your mugs, and yeah, I appreciate you all. Um, And I am I'm looking forward to you listening to this episode. It is uh, Justin, like I said, has been a good friend and just a a tremendous support of Spocast. And we have some really cool projects coming up in the near future uh, with a new podcast that he'll be launching and a new business that he is uh, launching. So, without further ado. Here is Justin Owens of Owens Farms Piedmontese. Nanana, 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 nanana. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Spocast. It is 2023. This is going to be the very first official interview of 2023. It's um, I'm here sitting with a very good friend of mine. Um, someone I met, uh, and I'm going to say air quotes, met podcasting. I've met him before, but I just didn't know. Um, <laughs> we have a bunch of mutual friends, but uh,
2: Justin, thank you so much for uh, coming on SpokeCast. No, thank you for having me. It's I'm excited to chat with you. And yeah, thank I've, you. I love the podcast.
1: Thank you. I, I appreciate that. I um, so when I when I say I met Justin uh, podcasting, we met. At the, my old work at the place called Speak, I'll just say it, I try to always... I, I have this w- world where I like don't talk about Speak and then I always just talk about it. So um, at Speak, they did this thing where they just invited anyone to come do an interview. Mm-hmm. Like any business owner, they could get on a scheduler and then like sign up to do a podcast. Yeah, yeah. And it seems like they'd maybe reached out to you, or maybe maybe no, you maybe you I, found
2: them. I found Speak. I started following it as soon as they showed up on Instagram, mm. and I thought it was just cool that yeah. Spokane was getting that level of mm. uh, studio or activity. And then I saw that you know there there had been a few, maybe three or four, uh, Speak interview yeah uh, podcasts and there was just a little submission form where you could fill out and book a date. Yeah. And I was like, well, yeah, I'm doing this farm stuff and I, I want to get talk it out it. there. Yeah. yeah. Chat with somebody. <laughs> so at that time is like right when
1: I took over at speak as like the Spokane like studio manager. And I was kind of left to do all these interviews that I didn't even really know any of these people that were coming in. It was just like, I would do like a quick little 30-minute interview with them, talk about their business, um, and then kind of see them out. Like Mm -hmm. it was fun. I met a lot of people that way. But when I saw your name on the list, it was like Justin Owens, Owens Farms, Piedmontese. And I did not even know how to say Piedmontese at the time. Probably I was probably saying Piedmontese or I don't know. I I, I think I knew how to say Piedmontese, honestly. But I was just like, I got to... I got to interview a farmer like a, a uh, cattle rancher like I did a little bit of like <laughs> research and I'm like I don't like yeah. I don't know what I'm going to talk about like this seems really boring like I don't know who this guy is like he <laughs> is if he's a farmer he's probably going to be some like hick yeah. like someone that I you know I don't really like <laughs> like why <laughs> like, did he make this reservation yeah, to like, come why he, why, like why does this guy like podcast <laughs> like he's a farmer uh a <laughs> farmer uh and then we met, and then it hit me. I was just like, I know you. Mm-hmm. And we connected the dots immediately. Um, yeah. immediately. My friend Adam Pitzler um, had, was creating the show in the early okay. 2010s, or even maybe before that, 20, 2008. Yeah. Um, yeah. And he was making this show called Man Out with another friend, Nathan Brand, and you were you were helping with that. They shot a lot of stuff at like...
2: Your- I, I found... <laughs> this is this is going bad but i found a craigslist ad (laughs) wow looking looking for actors and i I mean i was in college at the time and it was like promoting a local show that was going to be broadcast on local television and i was like oh okay well (laughs) cool i'll i'll go audition for it and so i reached out and they said you know prepare two pieces of dialogue to uh you know perform with or audition with and then they sent me the address and I'm like oh this is this is a residential address (laughs) on the north side yeah and I was like all right well that's a little different so i show up and i'm like yeah this is this very, Adam, adam's, adam's house, house. yeah <laughs> and i was yeah. like this this definitely isn't a studio type thing <laughs> and so i go in and we go down to their basement <laughs> <laughs> their wood panel basement that's like
1: is very creepy i remember yeah. that house was i mean the house is it was nice it was nice place to hang out but mm-hmm. his basement was freaking it had all wood paneling <laughs> and like it was a oh, yeah. bachelor pad it was like three guys oh, that yeah. lived there oh yeah
2: it was like one guy on each floor and there was yeah. like it was a split level thing, mm-hmm. but uh, I had prepared um, Daniel Day Lewis dialogue from There Will Be Blood and Heath Ledger dialogue from The Dark Knight, and uh, I actually still have that audition. Oh my footage. god, I <laughs> want to see this now. That's amazing. <laughs> but they, I mean, I think I think it went really well because then they they immediately asked me to come on board, and then I didn't really. It's funny. I was in every single episode mm. of the show, but I only acted in like a couple of them, mm. like w- with my main role. Yeah. Um Somehow I just ended up in the background or like my leg got caught on a shot or something. Yeah. And I think Nate did a behind the scenes like extra bonus video and it was like spot Justin <laughs> in every episode. That's funny. I wonder if Man Out still exists on the internet. It um, is. It's hard to find. But... So you, so we knew
1: each other there. You mm-hmm. came. You, were, they filmed a part of that at my house. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's where we might have met, yeah. and then maybe some, maybe a rumble night. Um, oh, my yeah. Adam, my friend Adam, puts on this amazing event. It's uh, rumble night. It's Royal Rumble, which is actually going to happen in a couple of weeks. I'm going down to the Bay Area to, to hang out and and do it for the first time in like seven years. Cool. And those uh, are fun. He it, does a great. He job does an amazing those. job. And. And basically a Royal Rumble night is like you get a number one through 30 and then however your wrestle performs, like you, mm-hmm. you get money. It's like mm-hmm. just a big, uh, <laughs> like betting.
2: Like I, I was never into wrestling right. growing up, but you get into it, get into it for it. that, that event. Yeah. So, so
1: that, that, so we kind of knew each other then, but then through po- this podcast or through speak, I sat down mm-hmm. with you and we just had an amazing conversation about your farm, about Piedmontese, about mm-hmm. the the breed of cattle, like how, yeah. how it's so underappreciated in North America, how like the benefits of it, it was just like, it to me it was mesmerizing. And like you really sold me on, on Piedmontese immediately after that, <laughs> just because like of all the health benefits from it and how it's yeah. just like a, a leaner, more healthy red meat. And mm-hmm. so... And then f- through that, like we ended up working together more through Speak, mm. doing your podcast with your grandfather yeah. in the summer of twenty twenty one. I think we did six sessions together, six or um, maybe seven. Maybe I think it was seven, seven or yeah, okay. it was like seven sessions, and you had just amazing conversations with your grandfather just about his life of. Um, living in Spokane and all the the things that he accomplished here and all the 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 stories he had to tell and and we got to make this just amazing uh like, like almost uh, this spoken like what yeah, would you call spoken history spoken yeah. history yeah. like about your your relationship with your grandfather and you got to just talk mm-hmm. about him and then um and then I mean I months after we had um you know we hadn't recorded anything we were still sitting on the on the recordings you I got a call from you and you had told me that your father your grandfather passed away mm-hmm. and and then i think about a couple of weeks later we released the first episode and yeah. and like i just where did you decide to like come up with that idea like to record mm. conversations with your grandfather cuz i think it started way before we ever met at Speak.
2: Yeah. I mean, so I, I grew up with my grandparents, mm-hmm. and he had had a bunch of different businesses and knew just had so many interesting interactions through his business career. And um, people over the years, my whole life, had asked him to write down his stories. Because mm-hmm. he, I mean, any dinner or any, anywhere eventually he would be telling a story and everybody'd be like, you, you need to write these down. And mm. it got to the point where, uh, our veterinarian <laughs> gave him a cow, a nurse cow to compel him to dictate his story. They're like, mm. we'll give you this cow. Cause we, we would call him every couple of years. We would have a, you know, twin calves and we needed a nurse cow. Mm. Um, He's like, I'll give you the cow. If you would sit down with this girl and just dictate to her, and she'll, you know, ghostwrite a biography about mm. it, you know. And then we'll all have it. Yeah. And he he just he accepted the cow <laughs> for for like a summer and then he he gave it back. He's like, no, nah, I, I really don't want to do it. <laughs> and uh it was in the first lockdowns of the pandemic. So mm. I was like, March, April of 2020, um, we were waiting for cows to give birth and didn't have anything to do. You know, we're sitting there mm-hmm. to be on hand and he was telling me this story or, or maybe I had been thinking about how to get him to record his stories. Yeah. I was like, I can set up a microphone and, um, he had told this story about his grandfather mm. sharing a memory of watching Civil War soldiers walk home through his family's fields after the war was over, and his mom is bandaging them, and she had benches out, and she would feed them soup, and wow. you know, just help them on their way. And I was like, how cool would it be if that story, in his words, had been recorded on a record, and right. we could sit here and listen to him, yeah. describe watching that event, yeah. That's what you could provide to my kids hmm. and their kids. yeah. And so he, it finally clicked with him, and he's like, all right, fine, just good grief, stop asking me. He's like, <laughs> just do it. So during the lockdowns, we recorded, I don't know, eight or ten hours mm-hmm. of audio and video, and yeah. that's kind of what started it. Yeah. And I, it, the, the audio levels weren't great for turning it into a podcast.
1: I, I, I think it was just, it was very... It was very quiet, I remember like listening you get you gave me it on a thumb thumb drive, and I just remember the it just being very 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 quiet and when you mm-hmm. have very very quiet audio and you try to like boost the volume, it becomes very distorted and very like hard to it just becomes yeah. distracting a little bit um and but I was just like i I think I convinced you or mm-hmm. to to come back and let's do a let's do it again like and
2: i and I yeah. think And it went, I think it just went so well. And I'm so thankful for that because he looked forward to it every week Mm. and it was dedicated time, just him and I. Yeah. And after every recording, we would either go to Dick's for a burger or a chicken sandwich or something Mm -hmm. and a milkshake. Yeah. Or we would go to Dominie's for a sandwich. And, you know, those are just places that he's gone to. You know his whole life. Yeah. You know he he almost before it was a dicks he almost bought it. Oh really? And it never would have been a dicks at all. Yeah. Um, would have been a zips. I'm just no. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it eventually could have been because yeah. You, you know one of his a And Ws uh, turned into a zips mm. and it's still a zips. Oh a yeah, it was a And W. I mean that's what yeah
1: that's what he would have put there. Is an a And W.
2: Oh, he would have had an a And W. And
1: I didn't even introduce you know. your grandfather. Your grandfather's Gary Owens. Yeah. Uh, he uh, in this podcast you created was called "Can't Stop Moving," mm-hmm. uh, and and you can go find that anywhere you listen to podcasts. It's uh, the, in the in the big three spots at least: Spotify, Apple, uh, and Spotify, Apple, and like Google. Amazon, Google. Amazon,
2: yeah, those yeah. places. Uh, w- can you explain why you called the podcast "Can't Stop Moving"? Yeah. So one of one of his things was that he just he was always working, Mm -hmm. always going. He just had a motor that didn't quit. Yeah. And, you know, the double entendre with the title was he had lived with Parkinson's Mm -hmm. for 16 years. Yeah. So he he could poke fun at it. You know, we could enjoy it. And, you know, thankfully he had had surgery where there were probes inserted into his brain and it canceled out. Um, basically it eliminated his tremor. Mm. So he he really only struggled with the tremor for about three years mm. uh, before the surgery and afterwards there was zero tremor. That I will, I have to say
1: like, <laughs> if you told me that your grandfather was 17 years plus mm. with Parkinson when I met him, I would not know. <laughs> like, when you yeah. think of Parkinson's, you think of Michael J. Fox, yeah, and you think totally. about his tremors and how he is on, presents himself like on stage, like. Yeah. uh And your grandfather went through this. This, I, I want to say, state of the art, but it's not state of the art. It's like, uh, I mean, it's kind of, but not
2: really. Yeah. It, but like this, that procedure, and it just mm-hmm. seems like it. Uh, well, he he was lucky that he had. A doctor here in Spokane Mm. who had been at the forefront of doing these surgeries. Mm. So by the time he did my grandpa's in 2008, he had done hundreds of these. Oh, wow. By the time he retired, I know for sure he had done well over a thousand. Oh, wow. Just of the deep brain stimulation uh, implant surgery. And my grandpa was also lucky enough to have one of the, if not the most successful surgery Of that kind. Oh, okay. Uh, Because Medtronic, the device maker, uh, contacted his doctors and he was actually used. I mean, he would go to conferences and they would turn his system on and off and they would show him shaking and then turn it back on and he would be totally fine Mm. and he could talk. And, you know, they used him in a national commercial Mm. for the surgery. And then just last year, Um, I want to say in September of either September or November of 2022. um, Footage of him was included in a film that debuted at Toronto International Film Festival. Wow! Yeah.
1: Yeah. That's so cool.
2: I, I I want to
1: talk about the, the podcast portion of like your grandfather passed away in October of 2021. Correct. -hmm. And what was, Like, what's it like having the podcast now after death? Like, I mean, is it cathartic? Do you go back to it? Like, oh, yeah. Yeah.
2: Oh, I listen to it multiple times a month. Mm -hmm. Like, sometimes, I mean, sometimes, usually once a week. Oh, wow. I'll listen to an episode and I'll, you know, listen to it at night, you know, going to sleep or something. But after he, right after he passed, it helped a ton Mm -hmm. with me just coming to terms with losing him because he, he was the most important person in my yeah. life. Just he and I were connected on another level since I was born. Yeah. And, uh, I always knew it would be really, really hard mm-hmm. losing him. And I, I honestly, before he passed away, I thought I would completely shut down. Mm. Like I, I didn't know if I'd be able to function. Mm. Um, like when, when I was in high school or college, college or high school, I think high school, um, he would snowbird down to the desert mm-hmm. in California and, uh, the longest we had been apart, that trip was going to be the longest we had ever been apart and it was going to be like five months. Mm. Um, and he and I just like, you know, tears in our eyes were like, Oh, I'll oh. see you at Christmas or something. Yeah. you know. And, uh, but we were just really close. So having the podcast, like I would. This isn't me like making an advertisement, but I would recommend it for everybody, yeah. with their parents and grandparents, to capture those stories in mm. their own words. Yeah, it's so valuable to hear their voice mm-hmm. and hear those stories the way they tell them. Yeah, anytime you want. Yeah, like it's,
1: it is. It is so valuable. Like I, I tell people. I mean, because of what you did with your grandfather, like how like this is something everyone should do if mm-hmm. if they're able. And but then I also was thinking like even just podcasting in general, like, God forbid something happened to me, but like mm-hmm. I have thousands of hours of podcasts that I've been on over the last five years that if my kids wanted to go back and listen to, they could. Yeah. And 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 I will do this for years to come. And I think about how m- much content my children are going to be able to go through. To hear me talk to people, talk about them and how much they're going to be able to discover um, as long as I keep it available <laughs> on <Yeah>. the internet. <laughs> I mean, i always keep yeah. it available for them somehow. But like, yeah, it, it is like, it's super, super, super important. And I see this advertisement all the time on TikTok. It's... um Oh, the book. The book. Yeah. The, the people, there's a, there, I don't know what it's called and I'm not, I don't want to promote them yeah. really, but like, It just seems like so much work. Like you basically every month you, there's this, you, a prompt, a prompt you and you write out a little thing. And then like at the end of the year, you get this book, they write like a, basically Mm -hmm. a novel for you. And, but like, it's all written, you know, like spoken dialogue is like, I'm, I do not, this is, this is, this is kind of sad. My grandfather passed away this summer and I have I mean, at least I don't know. I don't have any type of recording of him talking like, and I will probably forget the sound of my grandfather's voice. Like, and that is just like that sense and that the ability to retain those memories like of Mm -hmm. someone like is so important. And, And I think it is something I should do with my family and it's something I should do. For other people, like I definitely, yeah. this would be a good. This you, if you, anyone listening to this has any interest, like please reach out. Like it's something I think is very important, and I, and I, mm. and it's a lot easier than producing like other types of podcasts. Like <laughs> <laughs> like it like it wouldn't yeah. it wouldn't take much to to do. So and it's
2: so rewarding like afterwards to have it. Yeah. 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 I. I'm so glad it's built in. And all, and, and all your family and, members that can listen well, to family, it as well. And his friends, like he, one of the things he did was, uh, oh, him and a buddy of his started a bank. Or they mm. bought a bank and they expanded it. And the retired right. f- bank president would text me every time he was listening to the episodes, you know, and he was mm. cracking up at certain jokes and <laughs> stories That's that awesome. Gary told. yeah. That, um, it was just, it's special for everybody beyond the immediate family mm-hmm. too I guess is what I was saying yeah,
1: that's really cool
2: it it, it yeah it is it and it's a time capsule of
1: what mm-hmm. he accomplished in his life
2: oh yeah and but. and with his it's especially like an extra unique lens of spokane history mm-hmm. because he was so connected to spokane all over the place Mm -hmm. since 1938 yeah and i mean spokane went through huge changes you know he has a very different lens of expo 74 yes and and the repercussions and the event itself yeah he was Um, heavily involved in that mm -hmm. event and very you know you won't find his name on any books or anything like that but i mean he he had a very profound effect on that Hmm. event as well yeah uh, interesting but even even azar's uh oh right closed at the end of last year and it was in business there for like 40 years yeah and everybody calls it an azar you know it's the azar's building and now it's going to be something else but my grandpa built that building and it was an a&w <laughs> for like 40 years before that mm. and it was, it was that that building was an up, was it a drive in situation? It, well, so the whole awning, like yeah. that building is original to what he built. So that metal awning, he built it. So you would pull wow. up and park under both sides of the awning, and the car hops would come out and take your order. But the cool thing about that building is it was originally across the alley where Fred's appliance is. Mm. And the land owner was going to, like, the land had sold and he wasn't able to buy it and they were going to up his rent like triple it mm. and they gave him a certain deadline and <laughs> he story. bought the land across the alley it's like you know 30 40 feet away and on the last day of his lease he jacked up the building brought in this giant double axle trailer and put the building on there and i mean he's going across monroe at, on on a sunday at five in the morning and he just back and forth back and forth moves that building over drops it down on the new spot he had you know poured the foundation yeah and uh that's amazing that's where it lives now he he broke one window moving that building that's awesome (laughs) that's that's such a yeah i remember him telling that story
1: on the podcast and i was just like (laughs) i was amazed did did your grandfather have a relationship with king cole
2: not really it was it was other people okay Um, so one of the people on the board making it happen was Joseph Rosenfeld, and he owned Favorite Theaters oh, okay. in Spokane. Oh, wow. Hugely influential, and he basically gave my grandpa's first job after he had left the farm, gone to college at mm-hmm. WSU. He had rolled a tractor his senior year in high school, so he was healing up, and uh, he couldn't get a job anywhere and he. His parents had left the farm, which is where the Hangman Golf Course is now, or, or Laytaw Golf Course. Mm. Uh, they moved into town into a trailer, and the trailer was across the street from the East Sprague Drive-in Theater. Oh wow! East... So he he would go over there, you know, once once a week, trying to get a job. And he finally gave him a job. And then my grandpa replaced his whole whole crew, and then uh, then he replaced the manager who like a World War II vet had a business degree from Harvard and really truly but the guy was mean like oh (laughs) he he liked my grandpa but he treated all the other employees terribly Mm. so uh, Rosenfeld fired him and hired my grandpa to run it that's awesome yeah Uh,
1: and for those who don't know King Cole was like the he's considered the father of Expo 74 that's why I asked about if he had a relationship with him Uh, well we're gonna keep on talking about your grandfather and no one's farms <laughs> in in just a little bit. But before we go any further, we gotta we gotta play a little game. We gotta play the oh the Spocast Hot List. Um, this is where I, I haven't done this game in a while. Actually, I haven't. Uh, I'm looking forward to this. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, so a quick reminder: it is a name association game. I'm going to say a word, and you're going to say the first word that comes to your mind as it relates to Spokane. <laughs> So that, that's a very important piece. Like it's as it relates to Spokane. Mm. Um, and the one I always start with is a very easy one because I'm very close to it. But you can say whatever you want. Mm. Park. Mm.
2: Probably Manitou Park.
1: Mm. It's a great one. Probably the best one. I love, honestly, and, and <laughs>
2: Within it, I love the Duncan Gardens. Mm. But I love the original name, the Sunken Gardens. Is that what it was really called? Originally yeah. called? The Sunken
1: Gardens? Yep. I did not know that uh coffee coffee anvil oh the one in washington cracker building perfect exactly
2: (laughs) uh music venue Ooh, you know gosh i love the old theaters you know i've gone Mm. to some great concerts at the fox and the bing which i loved it when it was like called the met Mm. oh yeah
1: the met yeah um that was a long time ago. It was
2: it <laughs> <That> shows <laughs> how old we are. Yeah. Jeez. Uh, uh no, probably probably those. I went to some really great I love those. Videos. I've seen a lot of good shows at uh at,
1: at, the, at the Bing. I've seen Macklemore there. Like I saw wow. Macklemore the third time he came through Spokane at uh at at the Bing. It was a different type of show that he was doing but it was a really interesting <laughs> like concept. Uh I saw uh, Fred Armisen there Cool. Um, I've done. I've been to a couple events there. Like it is a, it's a really cool venue, uh, well, and I don't think people consider it as much as a music venue as like other things. But like they, they do do a lot of music there. Oh yeah, um, and I,
2: I actually have done pushups on the stage at the Bing. Really? <laughs> I got brought up by, by an act. It was so funny. We had seen this group at Walt Disney World in Florida, mm. and they were just like in the park performing, just meandering through. And then my wife and I saw that they were performing at the Bing and we're like, well, let's go see them. Yeah. And yeah, they pulled me up on stage. It's awesome. Beer? None. None. Okay. I'm going to let you know. I don't. I just do yeah, drink, drink. Yeah. Okay.
1: Uh,
2: artist? Ooh. Ooh. I love Chris. Like, I'm going I'm to. Say artist, not musical artist. Right? No, it's his art. It, it could artist. be any type of
1: artist, but like yeah. I, I would think musicians would consider themselves artists as well. But yeah, but definitely I'm thinking wh- whoever you, whatever comes to mind
2: <laughs> to like Chris Bovey immediately comes to mind. Mm-hmm. He's so sp- like Spokane, yeah, and and Ben.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Ben Joyce, of yeah. course. Uh, some of the best local, local <laughs> artists in Spokane, but like. Ben Joyce is. I need to get him on the podcast. I, I, that would be I cool. kick myself every time I talk, bring up his name because when he was kind of getting a start in Spokane, and he probably was been around for a while, but he had done. You can find all his art at Downriver Grill, mm. and. And but this is like when he first started the the topographical mm-hmm. style uh, like art, and he was selling pieces for like five hundred dollars, a wow. thousand dollars, and these are original <laughs> pieces. and And I l- fell in love with like just looking at them because they're just like it was a, a topographical, not a topographical map, but like a map of Spokane, like the grid. Yeah. yeah. But it's just so artistic. Like it's just such an artistic vision of it. It's not well, like and just he has like a cool style. A very cool it. style and. Never bought one, and now they sell for like ten thousand dollars. Oh, tons more than that. And uh, he does, and he does installations all over Spokane. There's an amazing installation in the uh, the new convention center, mm-hmm. like where it just goes over the entire That's wall. Huge. It's and it's just like the entire um, like uh, corridor corridor of yeah. from like Airway Heights, or maybe even Cheney, Cheney to all the way to cord Lane, and it's just. It's amazing to look at. Um, so, yeah, those are two Those are two really good ones. Very different artists, too. Um, this is going to be a controversial. Burger. Ooh.
2: <laughs> you know, if I have to go get a burger on the spot, I'm going to go to the Zips on 29th. Okay. Very specific to yeah. that, <laughs> that Zips. As
1: we all know, Zips is different at every location. Yeah. Sweet treats.
2: Ooh. Uh. Well, it depends on the time of year. But. Gosh. I, well. Okay. I love getting crepes at the Crepe Cafe in oh, Kendall Yards. Yeah. I know the family. And yeah.
1: That's a good sweet treat. Like,
2: I love. Yeah. We're
1: very close to like there. Crepes. I've never done that. I need to go get some crepes now. Oh, uh, and they have great savory
2: crepes, crepes. like breakfast. Yeah. Like, well, I'll take the my daughter's there and get ham and cheese and oh my god egg, my, I need to go yeah. there now <laughs> um i'm starving <laughs> and and they have a secret menu so okay if you if you order the justin i'm just putting Oh it wow out there. the justin i'm man. not saying it was the first item on the secret menu but it might have been it could have been <laughs> that's funny uh shopping oh man i grew up in north town in u city mm uh i love malls yeah me too so i mean downtown is kind of core but i love north town yeah I, i'll shout it out i <laughs> will
1: walk through north town still to this day and it's like brings back so many memories i wish the arcade was still you took the words out of my downstairs mind. but yes. It was still downstairs to the yeah to the they just covered it all up with the the, they just covered the hole
2: up. (laughs) Was it not surreal walking across there for the first time where it's all like like I felt like the floor was going to come out from under me. It just didn't feel right. It's all
1: there still, but it's just not. It's just covered up.
2: It's got to be storage. Like I would would imagine in the basement. I'm sure we could. Uh, We should do. I think there's still stuff down there from the arcade. Well, there was. There was. The whole mini golf, like there was a, there was a cave and waterfall yeah. down there and the bumper cars and like the so much. pool tables.
1: They had that really cool shop that was like, um, you could buy, um, like I could buy, it was like a comic book store. It wasn't the comic book store, but they had, they had cards, they had, they had cards, like yeah. magic cards. I want to mm-hmm. say magic cards, like the, the card game magic, um, probably had Pokemon they at did. one point. They uh,
2: specifically, so I would buy star Wars cards there. Mm. And they're like, I, I started buying Pokemon cards, and like, don't waste your money on these. These are going to be garbage. These Star Wars cards are going to be worth something forever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right.
1: <laughs> oh man, that's funny. Uh, breakfast or brunch?
2: Ooh. Um, R.I.P. The Luna's brunch. Mm. That was the best brunch in Spokane. Yeah. Uh, they brought it back on the Super Bowl last year. Oh really? one one brunch last year i think it's just you know everybody restaurants staffing it's hard yeah and uh they had to let brunches go but they have the best brunch aside from that the crate the crate brunch like i'll go there for breakfast absolutely event Mm. uh i love hoop fest I volunteered with them for seven years mm-hmm. in, in the office and then we you know, I'd do the event. Yeah. I love Hoopfest. Hoopfest
1: is the best usually. Yeah. I uh, so Justin gave me uh, so I as most know I, I helped produce a podcast for Adam Morrison and you were there when they did his poster mm-hmm. and you gave me a poster and I hung it at this last event I did. I hung oh. it at at the the Good Growth Show and and it was just like really like it was a, a great vibe in there. Like people actually mentioned like that's an Adam Morrison HoopFest poster, and my plan is to get it signed by him and frame it, cool. and 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 keep it in like at least the condition it is today. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, it's really cool to have. And and I used yeah. to and I interned at HoopFest in huh. in the twenty the the twentieth edition um, in twenty oh, okay. in twenty ten. Yeah. So that would be yeah, that was the twentieth. Is um, that twenty ten? Yeah, because it started in 1990. Wow. Because um, yeah.
2: I did it 06 through 2013. Oh. 2014. Is that
1: when you were more involved in, like, the operations of it?
2: Yeah, yeah. By the end, I was I um, probably ran into you there, too. <laughs> yeah, probably. Jeez. Spokane is small. Spok- it, like, it's not small, but it is small. I think when you get... When you start when you start getting into
1: the community aspect of Spokane Mm -hmm. and doing working at events and, you know, I I think that the circles just keep on getting smaller and smaller Mm -hmm. because there's only a select amount of people who actually are are involved in the community. And once you get involved in the community, you just start seeing the same people everywhere.
2: But that's what I love with Spokane. You know, for all the new people that have moved to Spokane, Mm -hmm. what I've loved about... The community here is the volunteerism. Right, we have so many big events. Bloomsday can't happen without volunteers. Mm-hmm. Hoopfest has like four thousand volunteers. Yeah. Would not happen without them. Mm-hmm. Um, just the list goes on for it all, does, all yeah. the different things. Uh, so I love how the community supports local events. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there there were there were women that would come and just fill packets for teams, and it's like they worked regular jobs. They would volunteer there, and then they'd volunteer at like three other places. Like their schedules were just packed, and that was just normal. Tons of people doing that.
1: Wow, It's cool. That is really cool. It is really cool how how the community comes out and supports those events too. It's, yeah. it's so it's really amazing to watch. Uh,
2: neighborhood. Mm. Hmm. I well, I grew up outside of the city, mm. you know, on the Palouse Highway, but. You know, growing up, I always loved driving through Rockwood, Mm. just the older homes, the layout. It was just kind of a cool feeling going through there.
1: It it is like driving up, up through Rockwood is uh, really cool to to see all those old houses. It was always a dream of mine to maybe live in a house, one of those houses someday, but it sounds like it. Would be a lot of upkeep. Yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah. The amount of there was like a plumber that told me how often he has to go to Comstock and Rockwood to uh, mm. fix just the pipes running from the house to the street. That's and it's just a nightmare. That sounds awful. <laughs> uh, pizza, oh, man. Again, R.I.P. Savage Land. They really? had, they had the best pizza. Really, truly, huh? Best pizza in Spokane, hands down, bar none. Um, Pacific Avenue Pizza had really good pizza for a while. Yeah, uh, yeah. Now, now it's more like late night pizza. Yeah, it's not. It's not the same. Um, pizza in Spokane. I love Luna's Pizza. Actually, yeah, they have a great pizza. I've not been to Luna's for a really long time. Huh. So, oh, know. and the brunch. This is letting a little secret out of the bag, but. <laughs> Nordstrom's cafe. Yeah. It is fantastic. Like, it is the place that we'll take our daughters for a meal because it's easy to take little kids in there and it's good food for a good price and fast. It's like, it's perfect for families. Really? It's the best place for Uh, families.
1: Fun fact about that, about Nordstrom's in Spokane, is Mm -hmm. it was the very first, um, Coffee bar, what? Too. Yeah, that little, the one downstairs. Chios- really? Yeah, it was, um, and that's where actually the Thomas Hammer started, like no working way. as a uh, as a barista, and then he created Thomas Hammer. And uh, but yeah, like um, yeah, that was like it, when the coffee when the coffee thing hit in Spokane, like it was. Like that was the place to get espressos. Like my Whoa. parents would go there, and we'd get. They, my mom would get an espresso, and then, and then slowly the espresso, you know, f- craze started happening. Like in the mid '90s here, and like mm-hmm. w- there's so much real estate in Spokane where you can put up little, little, oh, the little drive-throughs. And, yeah, and and then I don't. Yeah, I mean Thomas Hammer doesn't do much of the drive-through stuff, but but that's when you know. Coffee just wow. started existing even more well, so in Spokane and the it was Pacific like
2: Northwest. Great, great time and great location because River Park Square was hot in 99. Mm. Yeah. Like when it reopened and it was brand new and you had the movie theater yeah. down there and you yeah. had all the big stores. Um, I do miss...
1: I went on a little walk the other day. <laughs> I, I had the... It was one of those days in December where it was like negative degrees outside and i uh had to walk to the paulson center Mm -hmm. and i could you you can walk all the way from the library to the paul center paulson center through the the skywalk yeah and then i found out that um spoken has the third largest skywalk in the world (laughs) um which people not many people know about and but it is but it if you grew up in the nineties in Spokane Mm -hmm. and you remember the original river park square and the shops, you would walk through the skywalk in Spokane and you Mm -hmm. could go to all of these different, um, local businesses. Mm -hmm. And there were some other national brands. I don't remember all the national brands, but like, but that's where, I mean, Boo Radley's was on the second level on, um, in one of the, one of the, um, spaces, I believe, uh, until they moved where they're at now. Like, there was just a lot of local businesses in the yeah. in that skywalk section, and you can s- still go see most of those spaces. Well, and in the barbershop, yeah, the barbershop there. Well, Leland's is still there, but then there's another barbershop further further w- in the next building. And, it's yeah. still, and that hasn't changed.
2: No. Um, well, but, and you had the Crescent Court, like the Crescent, Crescent building mm. was way different. Now it's like well, Crescent a court corridor. Was,
1: the, Crescent Court was like the centralized part of river park square originally like that's where everything started like it kind of started there and then it went out mm, and mm-hmm. then it wasn't until because like i mean people don't remember but like, many people <laughs> don't remember but like where river park square has a big peak and everything that was just a road that went right through exactly went right through post yeah and i mean it was this post went right through the mall like it was just a street and that's where eddie bauer was at it was where, oh man, I'm just like I am just remembering <laughs> going downtown with my fam my, my parents in like nineteen ninety one when we first like were living here in Spokane. and and I when I walked through the Skywalk, I missed the days of being able to just walk around and go to all the little oh, yeah. little shops because well, it can still exist because they're all still there. They're all like open for rent. See, and I
2: never made it that far over on the skywalks because my grandpa had an orange Julius in the Parkade building. Mm, yeah. Oh my god! And so the watchmaker, the watchmaker, yeah. everything in there—the tile, the countertop, all of it—is his orange Julius really? stuff. That's crazy. It's all original. I walk by there and I'm like, this is surreal. Yeah. Well,
1: that little court, even right there, yeah. like, like above, uh, like the court that's right next to uh, the, the drugstore.
2: Oh, the right aid. The right oh, aid in the yeah, parkade in the parkade. That little the pavilion little... with the water fountain that's now like a planter. Yeah, it's yeah.
1: it <laughs> is so it, that part of Spokane is is so memorable to me and it's like how I like created all these yeah, mm-hmm. orig- old school what I yeah. consider old school memories of when it is Core I mean, it's almost memories. four. it's almost 40 years ago. Yeah. Uh, oh, I'm not 50. I'm almost 40. <laughs> I was 10 at the time, so it was 30 years ago. Um well, and the last question I will ask is uh, best uh, farm.
2: Best farm, uh, <laughs> easily Owen's Farms. Yes, which is what we're here to talk about.
1: And I'm gonna apologize to everyone. This is gonna be a little bit of a longer episode, I think. But this is amazing <laughs> nerd out on Spokane because I just think that I we love, love Spokane, Spokane yeah. so much. Like and <laughs> and and usually the hot list is like a rapid fire, rapid fire <laughs> but i love talking about all these things too because you you also brought up a lot of places that not everyone says like usually it's just a couple of repeats i i was gonna <laughs> say like um once i hit uh 25 interviews i'm going to release a uh like a best of like oh, Spokast cool. with all of these questions. <laughs> so it all comes from my guests. And then I'm awesome. going to also do like a, a voter thing too where, you know, I, I cool. mean, I'm, I'm here to compete with like the Inlander and other best yes. of places. Like I, this is my, <laughs> my dream is to make this podcast like the, what, if you want to find out about what's happening in Spokane, you're going to listen to this podcast. So I dig it. So yeah. I, I want to use this list as a you know a way to for people to find all these cool things and give out awards and stuff like Heck that. Yeah. And, uh but we're here to talk about Owens Farms. Um mm-hmm. your, your, your very unique um like modern you call yourself modern farmer mm-hmm. on uh or on modern it, farmer USA yeah. on on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Um your farm I've only been out there once for a tour. Um mm-hmm. that's gonna change soon. But uh <laughs> I, it's just a lot different than anything I've ever seen. But where did Owen's farm start? Like Mm -hmm. uh,
2: your grandfather started it back in the sixties. Yeah. So he bought the farm in 1963. Mm. Um, He had always wanted to move back out there. You know, he grew up on the Penguin Valley Creek and grew up far or uh, hunting around there as Mm. a kid. And he always thought I would really love to buy land out here if I could someday, yeah. which was pie in the sky dream for him. I mean, when you talk about dirt poor, like the floor of their house was dirt, mm. um, no running water. <laughs> I mean, yeah. um, uh, so he was able to buy this farm. So we're like the second owners of the land since it was homesteaded. Mm. Um, and then he was able to buy a horse farm up the road from like a quarter mile away from where he was living at. And so in that's kind of when Owens farms got started was Mm. in, he bought the original farm in 63. Then he bought the horse farm in 69. And that's when he really started Owens farms, Mm -hmm. what would become Owens farms. Right. And, uh, you know, he did thoroughbreds for a while and when he got out of thoroughbreds, he got into cattle and mm-hmm. was it always what was the I mean, was it originally different cattle? Was it not Piedmontese or was it a mixture? Gosh. So he he had grown up I mean, very we we would kind of call it homesteading now, mm-hmm. but it was just living back yeah. then, you know, they had chickens and rabbits and uh I don't think they had pigs, but they had beef cows and dairy cows. Okay. And so he they would him and his twin brother would go out and milk cows every day, twice a day. Um and so he he had kind of grown up with that. When he bought the first farm, I don't think it was being farmed. Mm. Uh I think the farm, the land was kind of a little feral actually. Mm. Uh there was this big draw and it was I think it was so thick with brush, you couldn't even walk through it. They mm. tried to ride horses, and um, so they, they did a lot of forest management projects early on. Uh, and then we've just finished one last year. Well, we're doing the second half of it this year. Mm. Um, but when he got out of the horses, yes, he had scimitol cattle. He had 200 head, and he was just doing it with beef. Um, he just loved cattle. He loved farming. He wanted to get back to it. And, you know, at the time he, he probably had 16 restaurants, I'm guessing around there. Um, oh, maybe at that time it was closer to 10 to 12. Mm. Anyway. Um, so his attention wasn't a hundred percent on the cattle, but Mm he started getting these phone calls and this guy was calling the house saying, I need to talk to Gary. I need to talk to Gary about this breed of cattle. And my grandma got so tired of this guy calling. She said, you call him back or I'm, I'm leaving or I'm disconnecting the phone or something right. like that. She was, she had, she was finished. Yeah. Um, so my grandpa called him back and that was the first time he had, heard of Piedmontese Mm. and this guy had known about my grandpa because of the horses. And then he saw news articles, I'm guessing in the Washington horse breeder magazine or something that he was getting out of horses. Mm. Um, so he started looking into Piedmontese. He started making calls to the USDA, the meat animal research center. Um, and, and they, they had them at the test center. And he's like, "Well, what's the deal?" And they're like, "We don't know. <laughs> they're tender, they're lean. We don't know why. You know, they produce thirty percent more meat. It's just kind of crazy." Yeah. And this was probably around nineteen eighty-five. Mm. I'm guessing around roughly. Okay. Because um, he started AI his cows, his Simmental cows to Piedmontese in eighty-six or eighty-seven. And he did that for a couple of years. And the difference in the calves was just obvious. Um, even with just half PEED, half Simitol, the muscle pops, you know, after they're born, mm. after a month, they just start growing. And you start to yeah. see the muscle striations yeah. in their, their butt and in their shoulders. And uh, even half Piedmontese grow about 15% more muscle mass. Wow um it's just phenomenal. So mm. he he kind of fell in love with it, then he started going to Canada and buying uh well he was investigating, you know, which which heifers and cows look the best, which cows produce them, and so he was like I'm not going to buy those, I'm going to buy the cows that produce all of these yeah. cows. And he brought those down to Spokane, started flushing embryos and Uh, Then he'd go up to Canada, and he'd buy truckloads of bulls, and he'd bring them down here, put bulls into his horse stalls, and he would sell them at cost. He just wanted to get people started with Piedmontese. Mm. Uh, And he was not the first person to bring Pieds into the U.S., um, but he was very early in in it. Uh, Pieds had only left Italy in 1979 for the first time. Yeah. And gone directly to Canada, um, but he was definitely one of the largest volume people bringing them in to the United States. Interesting, I did not know that. Yeah, yeah. and
1: so during like this, like it was all, it was just about selling them for breeding. Was yeah. that? Yeah, there wasn't yeah. like I mean, there were you, so
2: few of them. Yeah, uh, it was it was really coveted like to just have these animals outside of Italy was a right. huge deal. So to use one of these full blood Piedmontese animals for beef right away was inconceivable. You, you needed every cow you, and every You needed bull. every Pied that you
1: that you got. That that yeah. means, and then that's how you created your half Piedmontese mm-hmm. like beef, right?
2: Yeah, exactly Yeah, that, yeah you would take those Piedmontese bulls and breed them to the peed cows yeah to get more piedmontese calves and build up your herd build the population but you would use your bulls as well to go breed angus cattle yeah um and then you get half piedmontese beef and it's still a premium it's more tender it's a higher nutrient density mm. you know it's very lean um and it's delicious it's a great premium product yeah but
1: you weren't harvesting these but like you were like they were like he your grandfather's harvesting
2: personally like like a little bit for himself like or for the family yeah yeah at the old house so before he built the house that he uh lived in for 30 years the house that i kind of grew up in Mm. he lived in (laughs) the house that was at the original homesteading site okay and it, it there's a you know 120 year old barn or 130 year old barn, um, down there. But in, in this like chicken coop garage is this, I don't know, 30 foot by 30 foot meat locker. Oh gosh. I remember growing up and it's kind of like the scene from Rocky, you know, you're walking (laughs) through all these hanging, you know, meat carcasses, but, uh, it was, it was unique. I mean, it was very normal. Mm. For me to see it, you know, it was just yeah. he was very casual about it. So it wasn't anything weird. Right. Or scary. Um, you know, it, it had a unique smell to it. <laughs> <laughs> I bet. Um, yeah. So
1: through the, like, 90s, the farm went away, correct? Or what? like there's no. A, no, not the farm, but, like, the, the peed part of it went
2: away, correct? Or is it always? The 90s were his ramp up. Okay. So he, he was doing a ton. He he was doing hundreds of embryo transfers okay. and that's like where you artificially inseminate a cow, super ovulate her and then go in and collect embryos okay. and put them in liquid nitrogen uh, tanks for later use. Um, but he had a, he had hundreds of surrogate cows mm. as well. Um, we would call them recipient cows. Um, so he he was building up his herd through the 90s okay, and it kind of peaked in 2000, 2001, and he founded the North American Piedmontese Association for the U.S. and Canada, mm. um, which was kind of a first of its kind for a number of reasons. It encompassed the U.S. and Canada, which was kind of unique. Mm-hmm. Usually they have their own national associations. Uh, the other thing was it was the first registry based on a gene. So Mm. usually there's pedigrees and you keep track of who the parents are and that's your registry and you have a central database. Um, this was specifically based on, you have to have a blood sample, hair sample, and it has, the animal has to have two copies of this gene to be registered. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, and
1: like what, what? What was the purpose of starting the North American Piedmontese? Like,
2: well, there there were a few things that kind of led to it. He had been involved with ANW mm. Root Beer, and there there had the reason ANW Root Beer is in cans and bottles now is really through a lawsuit that he had like this is getting deep in the weeds right but he had gone through that whole lawsuit trying to protect the franchisees of a&w because he was the president and basically what happened is that
1: a&w wanted to bottle yeah, their the root beer ripper, but for those who don't know a&w'd go there and like every a&w made the, mm-hmm. the root beer from scratch yes and it's a lot different than it is now today, and there's only what there's only two A&W's in Spokane that you can even get, the real fresh, the real fresh, mix. yeah, yeah. And but then when they started bottling it, he wanted to like that would totally devalue going to
2: a and It cannibalized yeah. the business by like thirty five percent or more. Wow, I mean it, it was devastating. Yeah. Wow, and 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 the root beer, the A&W root beer that's in cans is a synthetic. So it's not actually A&W root beer. It's just branded that way. Right. Um, so he he had gone through that, where it was a real fight and a real struggle. And the Piedmontese Association for the United States that existed at the time, only mm. for the United States, uh, they had registry issues. They had financial issues. He got elected to the, or he was asked to be on the board of directors and mm. his the first meeting he goes to, there's $60,000 missing in the account. And he's like, well, where's the money? And no one could account for oh, it. Oh, shit. And he's like, well, yeah, if no one can account for it, I'm out of here. I'm going to go start my own association. Because what had happened was there were people on the board and in that association that were really harassing the guy that, handled the registry oh wow and this is a guy that did it for hereford and charlotte and Semiton, like all these other breeds at the time you know back in the 90s mm-hmm. um and he was like i'm done with you guys i'm <laughs> done with this person who keeps harassing me so they they were essentially a cattle association that couldn't register cattle so there's no no value to no, it. no value and you know, that puts at risk a lot of (laughs) the value in your animals when they're they're seed stock Mm -hmm. versus just being commercial cattle. Right. And so he, (laughs) he paid the guy under the table for a CD ROM with the full database of registered animals. My God. And he went and started his own association. (laughs) That's awesome. No one, no one knew about it except him for probably 20 years and, and then, you know, he, he just didn't care anymore. He's like, whatever, my association, if they're going to screw me
1: over, I'm going to screw them over. (laughs) Basically. I mean, I mean, essentially and it's and your grandfather's a businessman. Like he's like,
2: and and the problem was there were people on the association that had voting rights. if They paid to be a member. And if they had a subscription to the associations magazine, well, a lot of them didn't have cattle. So, they were making decisions that, you know, swayed the market for people that had a real financial stake. Yeah. So, he started his association to have more weight to the vote for people that had Mm. uh, animals and how many animals they had. They could have a little more say in the vote. And so, it was really, he brought in huge names Mm. and deep pockets to start that association. Um, And one of them was like, from an old Southern family and uh, they owned land in Houston and they were the family that donated land to the city of Houston, create the Astrodome. Oh, wow. Like deep money. Like they were in Arabian horses before Piedmontese cattle. And so my grandpa took bulls down there and there's all these beautifully tiled barns. Oh my gosh. And they just started, they had gotten out of the Arabians and they started putting these peed bowls into these palace barns. And he said in one of their offices, they just had, I don't know, 30 foot wall or the room was 30 feet. And on both walls were trophy cases. Filled to the brim for their Arabians. That's crazy. And uh, that's interesting through, through that family one of our bowls was given to at the time the president of Mexico and the bowl was in the courtyard of the presidential palace that's amazing <laughs> that's
1: so cool <laughs> uh so f- like fast forward a little bit like sure. when did you become involved with i mean obviously you were mm-hmm. I, I know you tell stories of you spent a lot of time with your grandfather and like yeah. you're a part of a lot of these the meetings that he had probably and mm-hmm. but like so obviously you were involved early on but like there was a point where you're like let's
2: yeah aside from being a kid and yeah just, you know going taking along yeah after or, college yeah. you decided to actually i was in college you were in college
1: yeah. and you decided yeah. to like this is the direction you wanted to take it ab- about doing the piedmontese like mm-hmm. breeding again correct yeah. S- I, something like, sort of sim- <laughs> similar to that. <laughs> what I know it's very, very uh, parath- no. paraphrased.
2: No, I, I mean, I was in college. I yeah. was living on the farm, and, mm-hmm. you know, they still snowbirded, so it worked yeah. to have somebody in the house for six months. Mm. Um, otherwise, they would need somebody to house it. Yeah. So after his Parkinson's surgery, well, prior to that, he had been leasing out the farm. Mm. He has the surgery uh new lease on life. Like yeah. he he didn't know how the surgery would go. A lot of like they were telling him so there's psychological screenings beforehand cuz you could if the surgery doesn't go perfect, you can have it, it can amplify uh suicidal thoughts. Oh gosh. It can completely wipe out your equilibrium. So his his equilibrium was shot. He if he started tipping backwards he was gone like he didn't have that ability oh. to s- uh, re- rough, reorient like re- 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 himself yeah. wow so he fell a lot mm-hmm. and uh he would joke that he he learned how to fall when he was playing football in high school he's like i, I learned how to fall the right way <laughs> <laughs> That's um, funny. but he had a great surgery he took back the farm and started farming again. He built a big barn mm-hmm. in 09. And uh, we had a ranch hand at the time. He had been a house builder. He had worked on the horse farm, actually, and the cattle farm. And so during the housing downturn, he started working on the farm. And we built an apartment into the barn. Uh, and my grandpa got three cows. And oh. he. it was just like an Angus cow and two Herefords, which blew my mind because he does not like Herefords. <laughs> uh, but these were these were two very good Hereford cows, I must say. Uh, and he would breed them to Piedmontese. He would AI them or turn a bull out with them mm. to get half Piedmontese beef calves. And I somehow, because I was around, got in charge of taking care of the cows and feeding the cows, which mm. growing up, I had sworn I wasn't going to go into farming.
1: You're allergic to alfalfa, correct?
2: Very. <laughs> <laughs> Very. <laughs> so, um, I, I, I went to school for economics okay. and management. And I, I honestly thought because I grew up going to the restaurants, I thought I'd go that route. Mm. Um, but in college, uh, he had he had already sold all of his restaurants uh, mm. by the time I was fifteen. I, he sold the last one, mm. and I thought there went my first job. You know, being,
1: working being a burger flipper.
2: Uh, <laughs> actually, It would have been smoothie maker. Oh, okay, orange Julius. Yeah. Orange Julius. I uh, but it he he really had this real. Uh, awareness of what he, how he wanted me to learn about working Mm. and learn about business. And it it was a zero nepotism type of approach. Like he wanted you to start at the bottom, Mm. learn every role before you, you know, have any leadership role, right? You need to know the whole organization. So he wanted me to work for other people Mm -hmm. and, uh, and, you know, other business partners of his sent kids to him and they would work for the summer for him and man, he would put them through hell. He'd have <laughs> them building fences. They're like, oh, you know, John doesn't know what he wants to do in life. And he's like, well, he'll know what he doesn't want to do. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's funny. Um, So, so yeah, I started taking care of those three cows and I, I enjoyed it and I you spend enough time with animals and you just bond with them and you love them. And I would like, I I love animals, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, but I do love meat. (laughs) So I, I would make these mental barriers and I was like, all right, this calf, your name is chewy dinner. Your name (laughs) is corned beef. Your name is roast beef. That's awesome. That's funny. And uh, and one of them I think was ribeye. And you know, I get attached. You know, I enjoy watching them grow. I like feeding them. I like doing a really good job. And after a few years of it, everything just kind of coincided. There was this discussion with the current president of the North American Piedmontese Association and my grandpa about where genetics had improved to and performance Mm. had improved to since my grandpa had retired in 2001 and he was really ahead of the game. He would go to cattle shows and clean up. I mean, we have banners hanging up, but we have boxes upon boxes of ribbons and plaques and stuff. Wow. Um, He just didn't care about all of it. You know, a few of them. Yeah. Put them up, you know, the grand champions and stuff, but, uh, they, there was this discussion like, well, what if we put in some of our frozen embryos yeah. and put them into, you know, had them born and put them into a performance test side by side to see which genetics are the best. Yeah. And so we did just that. Yeah. And that's kind of, that was kind of the first step in. I was like, I want to do something more long-term, more impactful. I want to see these animals have purpose and a long breeding life for, especially if we're doing this small. And so we went from three cows to 10 to 20 to 40 to, you know, 80. And then we got up to 180 recent cows Mm. and we're putting embryos in. And, um, the first bull that we sent back as part of that little, little competition, uh, came in ranked 24th out of 300 Oh, wow, and sold him for about ten thousand, and I was like, "This is fun. <laughs> this I I would do this." Yeah, <laughs> so we
1: we just kind of pursued it. That's amazing. That's so cool. Like, and but like, but these, uh, I always I'm gonna say cows, but I know that's not the correct word. But these animals you were making, like they were. Not 100% Piedmontese, correct? Like, they were... Was it, a, was it a mixture still? Or was this Piedmontese? This was Piedmontese. 100%. 100% so, Piedmontese. So we would,
2: we would utilize... So I would go to the stockyards and, you mm. know, local farms, and yeah. I would buy Angus, Charlay, Meninju, Semetal. Literally, I have used almost every breed of cattle mm-hmm. as a surrogate. Yeah.
1: And... So you were getting these cows as surrogates, like, and... I, I'm the one thing I'm curious about is like yeah. we have 100% Piedmontese and then we have your, um, the the Piedmontese that's like, what do you call it again? Um, that are, is a mixture like
2: natural lean Piedmontese,
1: <laughs> like the the Pied that is like with. I, I'm I guess I like what's the difference between 100% Piedmontese and like the
2: other like the the natural lean Piedmontese? So. 100% full-blood Piedmontese has never been crossbred with anything. Okay, it Traces its pedigree back to Italy, and then in Italy they have record books that go back to the 1800s on okay. these animals. Okay, um, Naturaline is a designation that my grandpa created for his registry that would encompass animals that had been crossbred. So it might have been... Crossbred, uh, that's what I was looking yeah. for. A cow bred to an Angus, mm. and then the calf uh, was bred back to Piedmontese and uh, back yeah. to. And so you, there's purebred registries, and there's upgraded stuff. This really delineates out these animals have never been crossed ever, mm-hmm. and these are ones that have could have could have been crossed once, or could have been crossed a bunch. Any any percentage of genetics into the naturaline category okay it just has to have two copies of the Piedmontese specific gene mm. unique to the breed okay yeah um and and
1: that is because the the breed itself is super unique in how it mm. survives in like the world like like correct oh, like because like, animal they're, yeah they're, I mean they're indestructible like from, I mean they're <laughs> probably not trying indestru- to obviously that's find no, no. the out the right <laughs> word to use cuz they're not indestructible but they have traits that make them be, like better in the heat and better in the winter mm-hmm. like there's this and when you explained that to me the first time I was just like wow like these cows sound amazing and then on top of that they produce 30% more beef than and your typical cow that you'll get like higher quality and it's healthier higher. beef the, the yeah. what struck me the, the first time you ever told me this is like <laughs> our beef when you eat it cuz at the time when you told me this i was just like i hated eating beef every time i <laughs> ate beef i would like blow up i would just get really like it just made me feel like crap eating any type of beef like that you just buy at a supermarket would just like just made me feel bad like mm-hmm. red red meat made me feel bad and and then you're like this beef is as good if not better than some like white meat you'll eat oh yeah like it's- it's, and you said it was good for the heart. Like it's yeah. a healthy red meat.
2: Even half Piedmontese carries the endorsement of the American Heart Association. Wow. Which a beef on its own just doesn't. Right. And so half Piedmontese does. 100% Piedmontese isn't even on the market. Like yeah. people, there aren't people enough people growing it to have enough attention like there mm. there's very select yeah.
1: people doing it and outside of like just all the health benefits of Piedmontese, like you'd think like oh you're going to sacrifice what you sacrifice in that you sacrifice yeah. in flavor which is the opposite too like it yep. tastes better it it you the one thing that really was also crazy about it's like if you cook it correctly you don't even need a knife yeah it's so tender yeah and it always <laughs> sound like a freaking like uh uh, infomercial right now, like, but <laughs> no. it, it just it it always. Whenever I talk about this and hear about, it, I'm just like, why? Because like we've talked a lot about like how farmers or not farmers, but uh ranches should put Piedmontese into all like all beef should just yeah. have traces of Piedmontese in it because it just makes your 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 cattle yeah. so much more efficient. Yeah, um and you know, there's a lot of other reasons in there that like. That even ecological reasons of yeah. of doing that, um, no, environmental issue reasons for doing it. Absolutely
2: um, no. It, so the live animal is the highest utility and efficiency that we'll probably ever see with a bovine. Mm. The their hair follicles are hollow, mm. so it's an insulator in the winter and the summer. They have a high, the highest density of uh, sweat glands of any breed, so they can hit, take 120 degree heat. Whether it's a newborn calf or a 3,000 pound bull, doesn't phase them. Mm-hmm. They're not looking for shade. They're eating and yeah. staying calm. Then negative 50, 60 degree Canadian winters. Yeah, they can withstand it. Um, humidity, they can handle it. And it's just this unique fusion of boss indicus and boss taurus genetics, and and it goes back to their origins. Yeah,
1: of yeah. I mean, that was a yeah. the, So these these cattle come from uh, the Piedmontese, I mean, the Piedmont region of mm-hmm. Italy, um, which is just below the Alps, correct? Yep. Uh, and and you've said that like that these. Cows like even though they like the the currently lineage, lineage only goes back to eighteen hundreds, like these mm-hmm. the Piedmontese cow are BC, correct? Like go yeah. back for, like go back. Oh you, yeah. You said like it there's even like cave drawings of yes what people might think are Piedmontese, like in the region.
2: So the yeah, so the origins of Piedmont tre- Piedmontese are traced back to cave drawings in France mm. of a rock european bison okay so that's one component of the breed is the european bison the i don't know catalyst of the breed was this mass migration of zebu cattle we kind of consider them brahmin modern day mm. but these zebu cattle migrated out of pakistan west into europe and when they hit these marshy grounds below the alps they, they couldn't go any further mm. so they started crossbreeding with those iraq bison Well, that was 25,000 years ago. And, I mean, there's, uh, I think Julius Caesar has written about the Iraq bison. Mm. And, and I mean, this was a known entity back then. You think about how long people have been domesticating this breed. Um, The, yeah, the modern breed, I mean, goes way back. It's just the record keeping started Mm. in the 1800s. Gotcha um when people yeah.
1: think of when and when and you know the biggest i think the hardest thing for people to understand is when you go to a a steakhouse here like if you go to like mm-hmm. churchill's you go to spencer's or place like that like it's a lot about you know the marbling it's about mm-hmm. the fad it's about like that's where you get the flavor and like but when you think of or even like yeah, when you think of the beef, when you think of beef and flavor profiles, you think of that. But the biggest, I will say, like the biggest misconception about Piedmonteses is, is the flavor. Like sure, like if
2: because yeah, it's ninety nine percent lean. Yeah, they they,
1: they mentioned the like the the connect the connective tissue. I think sure. that helps explain.
2: So, well, so. All, all of it's connected. I mean, yeah. one gene really has an effect across many traits. It's mm-hmm. not just one aspect. Yeah. So Piedmontese have a gene that was turned off long ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, the USDA identified the gene around 2000. And it's not... So it's classified as a mutation oh. just because it's turned off. It's inactive. So, I mean... Blue eyes, brown eyes, green eyes, like mutation yeah. is the classification for different things. So it's not like we're talking about X-Men. <laughs> I'm just like, I, we,
1: we miss it. We missed an opportunity. We, we need to call this Piedmontese beef X-Beef
2: <laughs> and like the X-Men logo. <laughs> well, funny you should say that because we'll get to that. No. Um, but like this is like yeah.
1: thousands and thousands and thousands of years of... Yeah. Of evolution, exactly t- too, and like, I mean, like, and humans are not even like we don't evolve well, like these cows have. <laughs> well, and
2: the funny thing is, there. So the gene that's affected uh, affects myostatin production mm. or myostatin functionality. Uh, humans have inactive uh, mutations oh. with myostatin. There's documented cases. Yeah. Um, and and what myostatin is, it's a pro. It's a chemical that's produced, it's in our bloodstream, ever-present. Everybody produces different levels of it, and it's a protein regulator. Mm. So when you eat a burger, um, when the protein from the burger is in your bloodstream, and it encounters myostatin, they bond, Mm. and the myostatin will flush it out of your system to regulate how much muscle you produce Mm. by allowing protein to get to the muscles, to be used for lean muscle mass Mm -hmm. so with piedmontese their myostatin is non-functioning it can't bond with the proteins it encounters so the protein just goes towards its natural function it produces more muscle wow with the breed it it ends up being about 30 percent more lean muscle mass Mm -hmm. Um, what is also affected is the diameter of the muscle fibers so a normal muscle fiber on a cow is the thickness of a human hair. Oh, wow. So Piedmontese muscle fibers are 1 16th of that. Wow. Tiny. Um, but when you have a tough piece of meat that's real chewy and on it, it's not tough muscle. It's the connective tissue that mm-hmm. holds muscle fibers together. So with a lot of breeds, you have these large muscle fibers and even larger connective tissue holding it together. Mm-hmm. With Piedmontese, you have these fine muscle fibers and hair-like connective tissue. Wow. So that's what allows it to be tender. When you, when you have marbled beef and you have fattened beef, you have the fat in there to break up the connective tissue. Mm. That allows it to be more palatable because it's less chewy because the fat is there. Right. Um, with Piedmontese, you don't need any fat to break up connective tissue. Oh well, yeah, it's tender on its own. Um, and and whenever you know you go places and they're like, "Fat is flavor," that is excellent marketing. Um, and th- and that's kind of why Piedmontese isn't bigger. You yeah. know, it, when the breed finally came over from Italy because they had an embargo on the breed. Um, Italy knew what they had and they protected it. Um. When they came into the U.S. in the early 80s, you had at the same time the USDA changed grading for what, you know, influenced select, you know, choice, prime. Right. And, and this is all being influenced by money and well, interest well, too, right? I mean, like, yes and no. But you had, so to their credit, to like the beef industry's credit, in the seventies you had peak beef consumption in the U S and it was like 92 pounds per person annually. Right now we sit at about 50 pounds per person. I'm going to say it has to be at least half, (laughs) but you had peak consumption at the same time you had peak dissatisfaction. Mm. And it's like, well, is it just because there's more people eating it, there's more people complaining about it or is there an actual issue with the beef? So was they, this like
1: overbreeding there's this is just like people it was just like you know pumping out it's like chicken like you just buy no one cares about the flavor of their chicken they go and they buy their fucking sorry excuse my language no, no. they buy their foster farms chicken I mean, at Costco at
2: that time there were even more family farms okay so i i would say it wasn't so much production issues okay um but they did these sensory taste tests they did uh you know interviews mm-hmm. to figure out with consumers what is the issue and it wasn't flavor it wasn't the look it wasn't the aroma uh it was specifically the chewy toughness mm. and they're like all right well how do we address that yeah. and it was with marbling with putting fat in there and yeah. so you know you breed it in and you get these globs of fat mm-hmm. well that that kind of takes care of the issue but it doesn't take care of all the connective tissue. Yep. So that's where you have the popularity of breeds like kuroge, akawashi, that are wagyu Japanese breeds. Yeah. You know, Kobe is a product that's well known, um, but it's heavily marbled. That's more fat than actual meat. Mm-hmm. Um, P- funny thing is, Piedmontese is more tender than the highest quality of any japanese beef and it's pure A5, beef you know <laughs> I mean, olive it, kobe whatever uh, yeah it's it, pure it, it, beef and and i mean that's what americans you know ate up until the 70s was very lean meat yeah. actually mm. um so it, it, you have the usda change their standards mm-hmm. and the highest uh factor in grading at the time was yield grade mm. how much so after the animal is um partially processed and you have a hanging carcass, a mm-hmm. uh, hot carcass, um, how much of that translates to cut and wrapped meat? Hmm. And the higher the percentage, the higher the grade. Wow. And they changed it to be how much fat cover is there and how much intramuscular fat mm. is there. Those are the two components mm-hmm. for grading. Yeah. Like there's no... Tenderness, flavor, healthfulness, nutrient—you know—it's strictly fat. Fat on the outside, fat on the inside. That tells you what the quality is. Yeah, doesn't matter. N- nothing else else matters. Um, but yeah, and also yeah,
1: at, so. at, at the at the <laughs> same time too, though we should say like this is in the seventies. Piedmontese doesn't even exist in, in the United States, yeah. and but there was a focus on getting more going going from less lean beef to more marbled beef yeah. and that's i mean in in that, so, that marketing campaign was amazing because it made yeah. people think that like the the more fat that the you more had flavor. more flavor yeah. and and it's and you and you see it at any steakhouse you go to now like it's just you want people want that marbling on it because they that's how if it's rendered correctly you get a really good tasty bite of beef but you're just you're sac- what you're sacrificing there is like healthy meat, <laughs> well, and, I, and I think
2: you have like a lot of people that it, it's just interesting watching the lexicon of culture kind of shift because even in the 70s you had a lot of people hunting for mm. their own meat, yeah, and you had people that were familiar with venison, you know, elk, moose, mm. um, even buffalo. Uh, and even right now, we're having a trend back to buffalo meats, buffalo. Yeah. And there is a distinction in flavor. There's a different flavor. Yeah. Even if you feed buffalo or whatever else out on grains, there's just a different flavor profile. Um, and, so, and, and those are very lean meats yeah. was my point. Mm-hmm. Um, I think people can realize just through sensory tasting it, that you don't actually have to have fat to have flavor, right? Um, does the, I I, yeah. I I guess I'm assuming that the flavor
1: of meat and marbling comes from the the beef. Is that correct, or or is there more flavor from like, or does like the marbling and beef like, does that have its own flavor? Like when you cook it, like,
2: yeah, it, it has its own flavor. It, it can be, it, it's influenced by the feed. Okay. Yeah. But, and that's, that's kind of where I was yeah, sorry. getting in. No, 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 no. <laughs> I, I fell off the wagon. Uh, when I was talking about the functionality of the animal and mm. how it can withstand the heat and the cold yeah. and there's even disease resistance, fly resistance, all of these environmental factors, their whole lives influence the quality and flavor of the beef of the meat and so when they're less stressed Mm. the meat is a higher quality so when they they just they have extremely high thresholds for what could even start to affect them and bother them or irritate them um you you end up with overall higher quality beef but uh and, you, and
1: I will say your, yeah. and your beef is like taken care of very, very well. They, they live very, they're spoiled, they're spoiled cows. They're, uh, they
2: have massage brushes on demand. Yeah.
1: They, and I, it's funny to think about like, yeah, when I think about myself as like a, an as an athlete, like I'm tense, I'm, you know, I, I if I get really, if I run too much, I like get really, really, really tight. Mm-hmm. And like, and like yeah, as humans, we just like we would be really gross food for people <laughs> because we're just so we're stressed out all the time, and we yeah. But like your cows seem to be like the most when you when I the the one time I've seen them uh, out of the farm has been like they just seem like they're just chilling and they're just having a a yeah. blast. And your facilities are state of the art. Like that's why you, you call yourself the modern yeah. modern farmers because the way you uh, ranch your cattle yeah. is very different than a typical ranch mm-hmm. and what what makes your ranch different i mean, I mean I, I, and you call it a farm so i no, i always forget that <laughs> I, it,
2: it's one of those little funny distinctions that when you have it you make the distinction you know and so ranches are typically at least a section mm. so it's like at yeah, least 640 right. acres um and and we call it once farms because there used to be Three farms we mm. had training tracks. And oh, all these different gotcha, things with the horses. So, he, he that's why he called it Owens these mm. farms. Um, I'm sorry, what was the question? <laughs> what, what, uh, what makes
1: your facilities? Oh, um,
2: you know, d- uh, like stand out from other places. Like, it, it started with I really viewed Piedmontese as the breed for the 21st century. You know, mm. back in the early days, we had longhorn cattle. Then Herefords were very popular. Mm. Then Angus. And to me, I look at the next 100 years as the renaissance for Piedmontese mm. um, in, in the way that Kobe beef has had its moment. Right. Um, I don't think... Uh, it, it would take a minor miracle for Piedmontese to surpass Angus right. in volume. Uh, but I hope someday that that would happen just because of the economics of raising these <laughs> yeah. animals and the functionality, just all all the reasons for the ranchers all the way to the consumers. I hope that that could happen, but you're starting with such a small population, right? Even in Italy, there's only 350,000
1: yeah. people there, on I, I, There's probably less than a million people
2: in the world, right? Oh, definitely.
0: Yeah. There,
1: there's probably less than w- what's half an, a million. What's the North American herd?
2: <laughs> like maybe seven or eight thousand. Oh wow! Okay, in, in the US I, and Canada, I was confusing Italy's.
1: Oh, uh, No, we're tiny. I was could I thought that North America's was 230,000. Uh, 230, no. That that's Italy's. <laughs> that's Italy where they are ba- like so like like they, they they kept yeah. the, they kept it a secret for so long. Yeah, and then and and then America just didn't jump on board with
2: it pretty much. Uh, yeah, yeah. because, and and we started with so few when they allowed animals out, uh, there were three bulls and four cows. Oh, wow. And two of the bulls died in transit from Italy to Canada. And it, and it's like a quarantine yard in England or the Netherlands. And then a quarantine yard in Canada. And it was like, Freak stuff like a front loader tractor. Oh, it was like hit they, one of the
1: bulls. It wasn't disease. It was no, just like no, they got killed.
2: Yeah. Oh, gosh. Like One one. They didn't secure a gate and it got out and it ate itself to death on grains or something. Like, oh, gosh, it was insane. Yeah. And so what ended up starting the herd in North America was one bull and four cows. Oh, wow. And so, it, The know. fact that it's that many now is <laughs> exactly. that <did> pretty amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of embryo transfers. And, and they were able to get semen over and they were able right. to get more live cows over in the sub, mm-hmm. subsequent years or the intervening years. But yeah, uh, uh, yeah so there, there's very few here. And uh, I forget where we are going. Well, oh, we were the talking about the facilities. facilities. Yeah, we were talking about okay. the facilities. Uh, so, so I started it with... Yeah, I look at this as a breed for the 21st right. century. Um, and then I had been using these 100-plus-year-old barn mm. and corral system. Oh, okay. And, you know, the cows I was using for re were very specific. They were big. I had some cows that were 2,100 pounds. Wow. And they could knock over a fence. You know, the fences were rotting out. So when I started looking at building a facility, I wanted it to be... Safe for the cows, safe for us. Okay. And I wanted it to be manageable. And I, the the way corrals used to be set up was for us and how we wanted to use space. Mm-hmm. It was not set up for animal psychology. So I don't know if you've ever heard of Temple Grand. Oh, yeah. I've seen that. I've seen the HBO movie. She's phenomenal. Yeah. She, she spoke at Whitworth a few years ago. Mm-hmm. I was able to go see that. Um, so. Incorporating her, I guess, mix of methods and animal psychology with the function of our stuff because she's had a huge impact on beef processing facilities yeah. and how to keep animals calm. That's in that what the movie
1: focuses on, yeah. Primarily is like how, like these cow, like back in the seventies and sixties, like cows were just like when they were processed, they just were stressed. They're stressed, and, stress and they, yeah. it's like. They were and when even when they were being butchered I mean killed, like they were you don't want like they were just it, it was inhumane, inhumane inhumane, yeah, like and
2: and it if and and I mean, like from the functional side, it affected the meat quality. so it's mm-hmm. like, what are you going through all this trouble to raise these animals for if you're not gonna do things right at the very end? yeah, you could do everything right for eighteen months and screw it up in ten minutes, yeah. Um, so she's had an incredible impact on the quality of food mm. in, in North America and in the world. Cause the highest quality beef produced in the U S gets exported. Yeah. Um, so the facility I used a hybrid of dairy standards, how they design their buildings. Um, I went to Italy in 2015 and I brought back principles that they used uh, in their mm-hmm. barn design because there's herds over there that never go out on pasture. They wow. live in a barn their whole lives. You know, I mean, it could be 10 years, mm. 12 years. You know, a mature cow will live her whole life in that barn. They get fresh cut grass or silage every day, but they have ways of sloping the ground and partitioning areas where the calves have their own dry bedding Mm. you know there's these like conveyor belt systems behind the cows at the feed bunk so where they're pooping and the slope of the ground all the wet material goes to that little conveyor belt thing Mm. they switch it on takes all the nasty stuff out of the barn these cows that live in the barns are clean healthy dry dry it's mm-hmm. wild. Yeah. And, and part of it, the reason is uh scarcity of space over there of land. Mm. And this breed developed in <laughs> the prime wine growing region. Uh, so you go up to this Ridge and as far as you can see, it's all vineyards. Mm. And then the other side of the Ridge, it's all these little white barns and cornfields and alfalfa fields. Wow. Um, so they just can't afford the utility of the space has to be for crop production. I see. Yeah. Um, so, so the facility was really built to be sustainable and efficient. And if there was any natural disaster, I could house the entire herd in the barns year round mm. without worrying about space. Wow. Um, yeah. And. But the main thing was safety, safety for them, safety for me. And Mm. I designed it so one person could work any amount of cattle by themselves. Mm -hmm. I can pull cattle from anywhere on the farm, lead them back to the barns that funnel into the corrals Mm -hmm. that lead into our vet barn. So I can sort a group of, you know, 200 cows and calves and I can... Separate them out by cows with bull calves cows with heifer calves. Uh Everybody that I want. Yeah And send them to where I want them to go And you have Um, and you have just one ranch
1: hand. Yep, correct
2: one ranch hand. Yeah, and how many cow do you have? (laughs) Oh I mean it it fluctuates. So Mm -hmm. we've stopped doing embryo transfers, right? We're just a hundred percent piedmontese cows going forward going forward and uh so i've stopped building our herd and i think we're around 80 cows right now you know yeah we've we've been selling heifer calves once they're weaned and we've actually started farms uh and helped build new farms uh that are in 100 percent piedmontese wow yeah that's been exciting
1: yeah so there I mean, there's a lot of things exciting that are happening uh, uh one of the things you know that i would really encourage people is if you're i mean interested in this beef uh you're currently taking spring 2023 reservations yep. uh and and you're doing uh, is it
2: half and whole or is it what is the yeah like so the, these are calves. Well, they're not calves anymore. They're <laughs> about finished. Um, but they were calves out of Piedmontese cow mm-hmm. heifers, yeah. that uh, didn't get pregnant through AI to Piedmontese semen. So we had a black Angus cleanup bowl. Mm-hmm. And so they're half Piedmontese, half Angus, mm-hmm. you know, a premium beef. Um yeah, but we're doing half and whole reservations for them. Okay. And at this point, you know, we can do a grass-finished or a grain-finished or a vegan-style finish where we use uh, grape pumice that comes from mm. the winemaking process right. and peas. Um, so you just finish it and taste, I mean,
1: really, really it's going to be... I mean, I'm excited to try this. Yeah, we've finished some with, <laughs> we
2: with peas and, like, oats and barley and uh we really like the flavor and the color and yeah the beef and so adding the grape pumice in is going to be interesting because if you if you replace like 10 pounds of their daily diet with grape pumice which we're not gonna quite get to that mm-hmm. level uh it can decrease methane emissions oh from the cows by 20 percent. so that's kind of a significant number in my mind yeah um But so will this be your last
1: like reservations of half, yeah, half uh, Angus or half Herford? Is it Herford Angus, Angus, half Angus, and half Pied? And then going forward, it will all be
2: 100% 100 Piedmontese. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So everything we've been doing is breeding stock, stud bulls, Mm -hmm. breeding cows, like uh, producing embryos, semen studs. Um, Now. I'm kind of cutting that off and
1: ramping up towards doing hundred percent peed, which yeah. is, uh, I think could might have to be a, in in another, like when it happens, it's going to have to be a whole another episode <laughs> because it's such a different, uh, well, it's not such a different process, different business, mm-hmm. but it's, it's a, a, an amazing story. And I'm very excited to
2: <laughs> help you with that part of it. Uh, uh, Well, it was kind of born, so this 100% Piedmontese beef label was kind of born in this studio. Yeah, I mean,
1: you sold me on the idea
2: a year ago that like
1: Piedmontese, I want to make Piedmontese on the same, I want to have the Piedmontese name be on the same level as names like Kobe and Wagyu. Yeah. Like
2: just a, another option at the top of that pyramid. Yeah. Cause yeah. like
1: when you think of premium beef, like those are probably what you a lot of people think of as being highest quality, that and A5 beef. Yeah. Uh, but, but I promise anyone that listens to this that if you in the next year start hearing the word Piedmontese <laughs> locally, it's be going because. Of what Justin's doing with his new company, uh, and that new company is Monzo. Yes, uh, Monzo is going to be a hundred percent Piedmontese. It's it's for lack of a better term, it's bespoke beef. Mm-hmm. Um, the 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 reservations that you get from it, people are going to be able to decide like how it's finished. They um, can, yeah. Um, they can have. I mean, you choice. can do that now, right? Yeah. But uh, but it's you know when we talk about you know, premium and the way I, the best way I explain this to people is when you buy a cow today and buy the pound, you know, that's typically, you know, anywhere from like 10 to, I don't know the exact. That's like $10 a pound. Like when you're buying a whole beef, right?
2: Yeah. I mean, going even just a few years ago, people were selling it for like $3 and 50 cents oh, a pound. Yeah. as it. a whole beef. As a whole beef. On up to, I think at one point I was doing seven or seven fifty a pound for cause, for your half for our half and whole. Yeah. Uh, um, and now these ones we're doing ten dollars a pound. Yeah. It's just the butcher fees have gone up. Yeah. You know, feed costs have gone up. It's it's kind of wild. So yeah. we're trying to keep this available to the local community this one last time before we go into our our luxury product, which yeah. is a hundred percent peed.
1: Yeah. I. And and Monzo is the the com- as a company is going to be a very luxury brand like on the level of when you think of luxury brands on Hermès, mm-hmm. uh, Dolce Gabbana, like RDA, yeah. like a lot of yeah a lot of Italian yeah. brands and yeah. you're staying true to the the Italian heritage of the yeah. of of the beef and I, I just I'm very. No uh, I I'm very I excited about the, this but like and I and I really don't want to go too far on the rabbit sure. hole because of what Monzo is is because there's it's a it's a whole story in itself but mm. and there's not really much we can say about it and that you can even go do with it yet as really. as, a, as a listener because it's going to be coming in the next year um Just but it's
2: it I, I I fully believe right now Italy has the highest quality beef on the planet mm. and the reason you don't know about it is because, they don't need to hype it up. They're very content. They Mm -hmm. are content to have it to themselves. They don't export their own beef, really.
1: And there's a reason why people go and travel to Italy to eat there is because the food that you're eating in Italy is some of the best food you're going to eat in the world. And it's why it doesn't exist on the same level as America is because Mm -hmm. we just copy everything that (laughs) other countries have done and try to do it you know, elevated as well. But like... And, but, and, yeah, but yeah, but they do everything so totally different. Like, even when I'm talking yeah. to you about, like, the cuts of beef, like, the, yeah. the cuts of beef that you get from Pied is totally different than what you're going to get from Hereford, like. Yeah. And, yeah. and
2: so, I mean, on that, like, that's why we're sending someone to Italy to train with butchers to bring that craftsmanship and knowledge back here and apply it to our Piedmontese carcasses. Yeah. Yeah
1: yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm i'm looking forward to it how can <laughs> anyone find you online if they want to make a reservation for the the half
2: the yeah, half peed like so our, our website is owensfarms.com and uh, we're on instagram modern farmer usa and at the owens farms um yeah my phone number's on the website awesome, people can yeah. call and i i you know, I really prefer chatting with people over the phone to really get an idea of what mm-hmm. they specifically want in their beef to see if what I can provide is what they're looking for. And I w- should saying that call,
1: but you're you're love to show people the facility. Oh yeah. Like if you there's I love giving tours. Did you say that already? The reservations, do you have like outside of like the beef reservations like mm. you can go and
2: Make a reservation made, to tour the farm. Make a reservation yeah. to tour the yeah. farm.
1: Um and I mean, and I'll just tell everyone a little secret. Sometimes when that happens, you might get a little oh, peed back. Yeah. a little <laughs> peed back. I mean a little a little sample. A like little he, sample he, you're not like you're beef. not like I you're do. you're not gonna get like <laughs> like he's not gonna be cooking it for you. He might send you with something. No. I'm not and but maybe yeah. I like
2: I like people being able to taste it after they've seen yeah. And learned about the farm and toured the facility and seen the cattle. I think it's good when people can use the beef in their own recipes. Mm-hmm. The The hardest thing, though, is that the beef cooks 50% faster. Yeah. And even the half Piedmontese cooks 30% faster. And that's kind of a, a reason we've started collaborating with chefs mm-hmm. is trying to fine-tune cooking instructions because there really aren't any. Yeah. Because I, this beef doesn't really exist in this country. When so.
1: you when I went and visited the farm and you gave me some beef, you said, uh, when you're cooking this, cook it like uh veal. And I'm like <laughs> Okay. I mean that, that helps me out a lot. I mean so I'm eating so much veal.
2: <laughs> <laughs> which which in my mind I was like, go online and look for veal. No, recipes, I know, but, I know, yeah, I, I, I know.
1: But it's just that but it is true. Like I it's it's such a high quality uh beef that like you're going to you know I've ruined a couple of things I've cooked <laughs> with it like making little burgers or making like beef for tacos or uh, making a a roast like I've I've messed it up and it's because I I always kill my beef when I cook it because <laughs> I want to make sure it's like not too rare yeah um but this is a type of it's literally a type of beef that you can if you have a hot Like if you have a cast iron skillet, like you can cook one side, one minute, the other side, one minute, and it's going to be cooked through, cooked through. Yeah.
2: So, um, it's just extremely heat conductive because the connective tissue is like an insulator mm -hmm. and prevents the heat from penetrating through. And so all those muscle fibers bound up, you know, so close to each other, it just sucks the heat right through the whole cut of meat.
1: Yeah. I'm I'm well, I'm looking I'm looking forward to the future of Owens Farms, <laughs> of Monzo, of everything. Thank you so much for being on this podcast. We did like a a Joe Rogan esque uh <laughs> style of episode two hours long, which is wow. impressive. Uh, <laughs> and the whole time I'm thinking about this is like a um, for I mean I like I mean Joe Rogan's like a on the the Mount Rushmore of podcast, like mm-hmm. like of where, what he's done to the podcast world, like, is a, directly related to what he has done. Like when mm. people listen to his podcast, they are like, I want to do a podcast like Joe Rogan. I've heard sure. that multiple times. Like I want to be, I want to have a podcast like Joe Rogan, and that's what I'm, that, what I'm trying to do here. But I'm sitting here the whole time <laughs> and thinking, we got to find a way to get you on Joe Rogan because <laughs> if you can explain this to Joe Rogan, I mean, game over. <laughs> no, that's true. Like, it has, I, I
2: actually sent him a magazine. Oh, really? Yeah. I, I had created a magazine for the breed. and
1: We went so long that the main camera went out. Um, <laughs> well, thank you, dude, for coming on the yeah. podcast. Uh, this won't be the last time we're on a podcast together, obviously. We, we have another for podcast sure. in the works that um, will kind of go over the... Er- origins of starting Monzo and you you'll all be able to follow along on that journey. Once we, you know,
2: have that out and you'll hear it all about on Spokast obviously, but, uh, and shout out to Lucas Parker for, you know, co-hosting that with me and having the idea for it and chronicling the creation of this new brand. Yeah. And equally, thank you for
1: uh, Justin and Owen's farms is the the presenting sponsor of Adam Morrison's podcast. And we would not be doing that podcast without your support. Um, and it, it's a, and it, that also goes to help supporting Spocast. So thank you for that as well. Um, it's just been an incredible journey and it's amazing that it has, it started at freaking me meeting you because <laughs> I had to like do a podcast at five o'clock on a like Wednesday night that I was like, yeah. I don't want to do, but I got to do it anyways
2: you might need to bring back that or <laughs> that, that little submission form where people can just randomly yeah, I, sign up.
1: Yeah, I've <laughs> thought about that, like where I, I should just open up, like have anyone come in and do a podcast and yeah. to be on Spokast. Um, it's something I'm thinking about. Obviously, if anyone's listening and you want to be on the show, like reach out and I, I yeah. can try to make it happen.
2: I just don't have nearly <laughs> as much time as I used to have. So, um, yeah. but and, and just shout out to the Spokane community yeah. for having so many awesome and unique businesses that even in the last five to 10 years have come out of nowhere and just blown up Mm. it's awesome to see yeah
1: i'm well thank you again i say say thank you way too much but thank you thank you thank you (laughs) justin and uh i'm looking forward to everything so to everyone else thank you for listening to the show uh thank you to all my patreon supporters thank you thank you thank you Peace.
0: Gonna do it like me. Just wanna love yourself. I said it's all about you and no one else. I said, don't you just wanna love yourself? Let me hear you sing it louder. Don't you just wanna love yourself? I said it's all about you and no one else. I said, don't you just wanna love yourself? Let me hear you sing it louder. Gonna do it like.
1: This is a production of Spokass Production Studios located in Spokane, Washington. Our city, our stories. And a big thank you to Jinx Universe for letting us use his song, Like Me, from his latest album, Make It Look Good.
0: Peace.